Good evening. Um, I'm going to pre- be speaking this evening, but we're, ge- we're not going to start by opening the Bible. I know that sounds really controversial. Um, I'd like to start by having a conversation with each other. So just turn to the person next to you. You can do this in, t- in twos or threes. And something I think we're not very good at doing is kind of reminding each other of the gospel. Um, so I wonder if you can kind of maybe sum up the gospel in an encouraging way to the person next to you. And you've got a few minutes to do that. Here you go. Um, the Okay, the, the murmuring is dying down. Um, would someone like to share what kind of words they were using? <laughs> Anyone? James? I did some three different formulations, but probably none of them are. What you can say is the right answer. No, 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 no. There's, there's not. not grace, you've been reconciled to God through Christ. I also said that yeah. uh, Jesus died for us and was raised again on the third day. Brilliant. 1 Corinthians 15. I also told her that um, Jesus is now being crowned the, the, the king of the kingdom of, of which um, she is a member. Cool, so different things there. Um, sins being dealt with, Jesus being king. And the rec- Reconciliation. Any other ideas going on? So I used a lot of family imagery. Okay. So God created us to be in his family, we walk out of the family. Um, and yeah, Jesus came to bring us back into the family by coming with us. Yeah, brilliant. Anything else? Jesus is Lord and Saviour. Jesus is Lord and Saviour. <laughs> That's a good, nice, neat one. Um, so there are lots of ways of explaining the gospel, and I think often, um, like, we need to say it in different ways to different people. Um, and the letter we're looking at tonight was written by um, the Apostle John. 
who was a friend of Jesus, and he's got his own way of saying it. He says it a bit differently. Um, So I want to focus tonight on how he says it, Um, so that the gospel might take kind of root in our hearts, and we might be reminded of it. Um, Tom highlighted for us last week that um, Paul and John write quite differently. So Paul, Paul wrote books like Romans and all the letters to the Philippians, Ephesians, all them lot. Um, he's a very kind of logical thinker. It goes in kind of sequence, if this, then that, then that, then that. It's very ordered. Um, but John is a bit more like he's, I like him because he's a big ideas kind of person. And he, he's got these kind of core ideas and they're all over the place. And in this kind of letter that we're looking at of one John, um, the same ideas come back again and again. It kind of goes round in circles. So actually, if you miss something that I say tonight because I'm too complicated, then you'll probably get it again next week or the week after, so don't worry about that. Um, so he has these big ideas. Um, so if you're looking for a kind of progressive, logical statement, you'll be quite disappointed. I was actually talking to a friend last week about this letter, and he said to me that he, was, um, he found it really difficult because there are lots of if-and-then logical statements, and they make sense on their own, but if you put them all together, then they're just, they can be quite confusing. Um, so we need to kind of dive in and treat them on their own and not get caught up in, in the logic flowing like we might expect it to. Um, and Paul and John, I think it's really useful to say this, um, they've got different backgrounds. Um, so they, they were both alive when Jesus was walking the earth and they were both alive for that moment when he was dead as well. Um, and for both of them, that meant different things. For John, that meant um, his, his friend, his teacher, the man he's been following for all these years, the man he was hoping would be Messiah, has gone. Um, for Paul, it meant this kind of, this person who was undermining his religion, everything he believed had been dealt with. Um, so they came from different backgrounds, but then they both share this one kind of amazing moment in their life, which I think shapes what we're about to read, um, but shapes everything they do after that. So John, no, sorry, I'll start with Paul. Paul saw Jesus alive on a road, um, and that moment challenged him to his core. He had to rethink his whole worldview. He had to re-understand everything that he knew. So that moment, seeing Jesus alive again, changed his life. And for John, it did the same. John saw Jesus three times soon after he was raised. And one time he had the privilege of having breakfast with him, which must have been fun. Um, Where am I? Yeah, and I think as well, something I find with abstract language. So John's gospel starts with, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, da 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 da. It's often quite, um, quite abstract language and big ideas. And often it's, I find big ideas are easy for us to agree with, like words like hope. Like it's easy to say, I hope some, in something, or I love someone, or um, there's lots of big ideas, language that he uses. Um, but John does this amazing thing where he takes abstract ideas and makes them really human. So um, any hope for eternal life isn't something far off and far away. It's something real and physical. And so his opening to his gospel is all these big ideas come true in Jesus. They're, they're kind of real. So I'm just going to try and illustrate this for you by opening up, by reading through what Tom taught us last week. 
Um, so if you'd like to open your Bibles now. <laughs> We're looking at 1 John, which is on page... 135. 1225. Does it tell you that? Um, yeah, and when we do this, just kind of think about that abstractness being real. So listen out for any words to do with senses, anything to do with touching or seeing or hearing. I'm just going to try and read these first four verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So what did John see? What did he hear? What did he touch? The word of life. But the word of life is not an abstract concept, it is Jesus. John had seen Jesus, touched him, spoken with him. John watched Jesus die. And he saw Jesus alive three times after that. So this message of the risen Jesus, the promise of eternal life, the way God deals justly and faithfully with our sins, this new reality is why John is writing, to make his joy complete. So when we were kind of summarising the gospel at the start, I was trying to get you to think of how you would say it. And now we're going to look at how John says it. So I'm going to read on from verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That was just three words. God is light. And in case you didn't get it, he clarifies it with just eight more words. In him there is no darkness at all. What do you think? Is it too brief? Is it too big? Seems too brief. Too brief. <laughs> does, it, does it make you feel very much or does it feel quite abstract? Yeah, okay, okay, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> okay, um, it's quite hard to say that it is everything because, <laughs> because he, doesn't, he doesn't even mention Jesus' name. It's just this one idea, God is light. Um, 
So I think it'd be really helpful for us to put some first century shoes on to try and get why this is such a big deal, what he's saying. Um, a lot of this is just from hearsay that I know, <laughs> um, so it might not be all accurate. Um, there are lots of stories back in the first century, lots of gods around. It's kind of a whole hodgepodge of different things going on. Um, I'm not into the classics. Is anyone here into the classics? Yeah, okay. Um, correct me afterwards, maybe. Um, I've been told that if you open up Homer's Iliad, the first word that you read is wrath. And that's a really angry word. <laughs> um, it's a story about gods fighting and causing chaos. I mean, it's not a Jewish story, but it's a story that's going around in John's world. Um, and these kind of big stories, these big narratives, um, they kind of seep into culture, into the way people think. So even if you don't know the story, if you've not read it, the ideas go in through art and culture and kind of change the way you think. So there's, there's a real danger to first century Christians of thinking in similar ways. And for all those gods, um, they might offer good things, but there's a dark side to them as well. There's fighting going on. Um, another thought, I'm not a historian. Any historians? Okay. Um, but think about Caesar, or any, any Roman Caesar emperor. They, they made themselves out to be gods. They were really powerful. Um, they kind of made the narrative so it was about them being in control. Um, but we know every Roman emperor had a dark side, and that all their things were good. And I'm not an expert on temple worship, um, but I understand there were lots of temples around in the first century. Um, that meant that the religion was making people do something physical on a regular basis, something you had to do again and again to be good enough, to earn the favour of the gods. Sometimes that might be bound down at an altar, another time killing a dove, killing a child, sleeping with someone, all sorts of things. Yeah, so I just wonder about all the different gods in their world. Um, going around and saying, God is light to all of that. He's, he's a different kind of God. There's no dark side to him. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard about this other, this other kind of thing. Um, one time there was an obsession with glass. Um, so people would walk around with glass all over the place um, and they take it with them everywhere and they put it away but every now and again they take it out of their pockets and they kind of stroke it like this and maybe they prod it sometimes or make it go bigger and smaller. Um, that's a bit weird, isn't it? I think if a first century person saw our world today, they might be amazed by tall buildings but very quickly when they looked at human behaviour, they'd be looking at how we use our smartphones. Um, yeah. It's not a classic, it's not a god, but perhaps it does become an idol sometimes. And certainly there's some darkness about it. I think we're all becoming aware of that. I think it's something that changes our physical actions, something that affects our behaviour towards others something that alters our thoughts and our values. 
I'm not saying don't use your phone. I'm saying be wary of anything that affects you more than this truth that John is reminding us of. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And just think about the powers in in our world. What if some failed businessman with a toupee becomes leader of a world superpower? Do you panic? What if a president uses chemical weapons against his own people? What if a president uses chemical weapons against anyone? What if a leader decides not to let you in, not to let in any more refugees? What if you lose your job because it demands you to do something that you can't do in your good conscience? All of these things matter and they're important. It's important who our leaders are. We should care about those kind of things. But the gospel speaks of another kind of leader, another kind of God. It tells a different story. I think the gospel is so countercultural that it doesn't even occur to us. The gospel is about the character of God himself. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Caesar can do whatever the heck he likes for a time. But followers of Jesus said, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. That's a really powerful thing to say. Caesar, Assad, Kim Jong-un, you and me. We can all draw a veil of darkness we want over the things that we do. But God is still light, regardless of what's going on in the world. I think it'd be good as well to talk a bit about darkness. Because when I first read this a few weeks ago, to prepare for this, I just immediately thought sin. But I think it means a bit more than that. I'm going to need a volunteer to help me. Lydia, can you take a seat over here? Um, this is really simple, because I don't want to embarrass you. Okay. Yeah. Um, are you good at drinking water? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you trust anyone here to help you drink water? Maybe, maybe Tom can help you. Yeah, Tom. Okay. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I just want you to shut your eyes. Don't open your eyes until I tell you to. <laughs> um, Tom, could you. Um, so, Tom's allowed to tell you what to do, but I'd like you to drink the water. Lydia, do you want to open your eyes and, and try, try it again? Well, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Um, it'd be, yeah, I was just kind of thinking how, um, is it done? 
Like, if we think about um, sin, about darkness as just being sin, then we, we focus on what we're, we're doing. And this is all about Lydia had to hear instructions and do the things. But she had her eyes shut, she needed, she needed to remember instructions and concentrate. But like, opening your eyes on a situation like this changes the whole reality of it. You don't need the instructions, you can see and do it. I think being in darkness doesn't just mean um, living in sin, it also means um, not living in a world where God is the light, where God isn't making things really clear for us. Um, anyway, we've only really covered a few verses so far. Um, so I'm going to read through the full passage now. We're going from, I'll go back to verse 5 and, and through to 2 verse 6. This is a message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. There are lots of things that we might claim to do in there. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, if we claim to be without sin, if we claim we have not sinned, and whoever claims to know him but does not do what he commands. I think John is doing something incredible here. There are no do's and don'ts. I was on a kind of question panel once in Russia somewhere. <laughs> um, and someone asked me, um, is it wrong for, to divorce someone? And I was thinking, well, the Bible has a lot to say about this. I mean, Moses makes it permissible. Um, it's not ideal. But, but the question I think was going at the, I want to know if something is right or wrong. And there isn't, there is an answer to that question, but it's kind of drawing the focus on, on what we do and not on and taking it away from what God has done. So John doesn't give us a list of what is a sin and what isn't. There are no do's and don'ts. John just says it is done, it is finished. Jesus has dealt with sin. 
John is really, really emphatic. Don't hear me wrong here. He is really emphatic that this reality should transform how we live. But all his critique is aimed at how we are thinking or the reality that guides us. And so what do we do with the last verse at the very end? Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. I find that verse kind of difficult. I want to know what to do. I still want to know what to do. I want a list or some assurance that I'm making good choices with my life. How do I live in him? John just says, live as Jesus lived. But I don't think that means we need to make water into wine. Actually, John, by writing this letter, is doing something that Jesus didn't do. Jesus didn't write a lot. Um, We've got lots from John. Notice that John has written this short collection of letters. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I think live as Jesus lived means go back to the start and read John's opening statement. What has been revealed to him and he declares in this letter, God is light. That is what we must do, live as Jesus lived. Confident that God is good, that he is pure and holy, that he has good motives in all things, that there is no dark sides to him. He is, he is better and greater and kinder and more loving and more caring and more concerned than any leader that we have in our world. And he's rescued us through his son, Jesus. If our claim is that we do not sin, I think we're simply saying that we don't want Jesus. And I think that's quite a dark path. I'm going to pray for us now. Father, thank you that um, that in such a small statement that so much can be said, that you are light. Thank you that there is no darkness in you at all. That when we speak of fear of you, we're speaking of respect. Um, Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you for for all the things you have done for us through Jesus. Not least of all, when he gave his life on the cross. Thank you for the resurrection and the hope that that gives us, the real, tangible, physical, touchable hope. Even though we don't see and touch it right now, thank you for these men who have seen it and, ha- and testify to it. Help us to see our sin for what it really is, to own it, to confess it to you and trust that you are just and faithful and will forgive us our sins. Help us to live as Jesus lived, in the light of you. Amen.